All right. Thank you, my friend. Hey, good morning, everyone. Great to see you again this morning on another Sunday. This is the door. Right? Yeah. This is the day the Lord has made, right? (laughs) I'll get that out, devil. No way. You're not going to steal my hallelujah, right? Hey, thank you so much for being here. Like I said, my name is Jeremy. I'm the campus pastor for this location. Those of you who are new, hey, if you are new with us this morning, we have a free gift for you. So please don't leave until you get, uh, it's, a, it's a mug that looks just like this one. It's got our little New Life uh, logo on it. And that is our gift to you uh, for being a guest here with us this morning. And we also like to say that if you're here visiting with us and you do not have a home church, then we want to say to you, welcome home. Yeah, so on your way out, just head out those doors and you'll see the bookshelf there on your left and just go walk up to Miss Anna. She'll be sitting there and just say, hey, it's my first time here. And she'll put that mug in your hand, okay? So thank you so much for being here. Also, we wanted to tell you about something that we're doing at the end of this month. We talked about it a little bit last week and I think we have a graphic for it for Harvest Fest uh, that's coming up on Sunday, October the 30th. So the last Sunday of this month, the day before Halloween, we're actually having a Harvest Fest right here. It's our first ever for this campus. And we're also going to do a trunk retreat. So you don't have to register to come to Harvest Fest. This is 100% open to the entire community. And we're going to be promoting this in the community too, just to let people know that we love them and we have this outreach for them. But you do need to register if you want to participate in our trunk retreat. And we encourage that. We wanted, I'd love to see 20 or 30 cars out there with your trunk open uh, and, and set up to some sort of theme and giving out candy to the kids. And we're going to have a couple food trucks here and some other fun activities. But we just want to let you know to go ahead and put this on your calendar. It's going to be on Sunday, October the 30th from, from 5 to 7 p.m. And so if you'd like to register to bring, uh, to decorate your trunk and to give out candy, uh, please do so, okay? I think Pastor Brett said, he said he's bringing his motorcycle. I don't know how he's going to give candy off of that, but if there's anyone that can do that, Pastor Brett will be able to do that because he is uh, ingenious like that. Uh, and then also, uh, we just wanted to say thank you for your faithfulness and your giving. Um, if you are new here this morning, if this is your first time here, this does not apply to you. We just want you to sit back and enjoy what God may be speaking to you. Uh, but if you're a regular attender, if you call New Life uh, your home and you are already in the spiritual discipline of giving, we just want to say thank you for doing that. Uh, there's four ways that you can give back to God through New Life. You can do that through our giving stations that we have located at our exits. Uh, you can also do that through the app, which is the easiest way to give. And then you can do it through uh, mailing that in or go through our website. But we just want to say uh, thank you so much uh, for doing that. Hey, we've, uh, we are a busy uh, church around here and it made this pastor smile uh, with pride to know that we had 36 ladies here for the women's uh, breakfast yesterday. It was so good. You know, one of the things I always tell people is that we always kind of gear our numbers about a tenth of the about a tenth of what Turlock does because whether it's baptisms or baby dedications or attendance and things like that, they've been around for 40 years. They're about 10 times our size with anything that we do, and so they had about 190 ladies at their breakfast, 195, and I and so I remember telling uh, Miss Lisa, "Where are you at, Miss Lisa? She worked really hard putting this together. Stand up, let everybody see you, Lisa." And uh, so thank you, Miss Lisa. And Roxanne, where are you at, Roxanne? Roxanne and then Miss Anna, all these ladies, a lot of you ladies. Kathy and some, if I forgot to mention you, 
uh, I'm sorry, uh, but a lot of these ladies put this on and put this uh, together yesterday. And so uh, I remember telling Anna, hey, if we have 19, that's the 10th, right? And so if we, if we, even if we just have 19 ladies, that's going to be great. We'll, we'll love on those 19. And then uh, Lisa sent me the text and said, we have 36 uh, here today. And I was so excited. So thank you so much uh, for doing that. Hey, we are in week two of this new series that we began last week called Guardrails. Um, let me start off by, by telling you a little story. So I used to be a youth pastor and uh, I was my, uh, my first youth pastor gig was in Colorado. And I think it was winter of 2006. Uh, Janet and I decided to take our teenagers uh, to Winter Park, Colorado for winter retreat. Winter Park is about 9,000 feet elevation. And so when you live in Denver, you're already at a mile. You know, you're already at 5,000 feet. So we were going to go up to 9,000 feet. But in order to get there, we had to cross the peak of the Rocky Mountains, which was 12,000 feet. So we were really climbing, all right? Now, I had never, I'm from Tennessee, all right? I'd never driven in that kind of snow before. We have ice storms and no one gets out for like a month, all right? in Tennessee when it, when it comes weather like that. So we had 15 passenger van, High Plains Christian Center on the side of it, a big trailer full of suitcases and a lot of teenagers who were used to driving in this stuff, but I wasn't. So as we began to cr uh, cr uh, climb the mountain, it was, began to snow harder and harder because we're up in that elevation. And then before I know it, um, we are, the asphalt uh, kind of ran out and now I'm on kind of a, like a sandy gravel road. I'm like, is this still the highway? Did I miss a turn? No, you're still on the right road. I'm like, okay. So it's snowing. And if you've never driven in a really hard snowstorm, it looks like a million white bugs just coming at your windshield as hard as it can go. So I'm a little nervous and the snow's getting thicker. And this van's rear wheel drive. I don't have chains uh, going up this thing. The kids are back there just having a great time and laughing and everything. And I'm a nervous wreck. Because not only am I responsible for my life, but now I've got a bunch of teenagers back here that I'm responsible for as well. But then I noticed something. It's dark. It's cold. It's snowing. I'm on this road that doesn't even look like a highway anymore. And I look to the right. No guardrail. And so I asked the guy that I'm riding with, is there seriously no guardrail up here? He's like, I didn't want to say anything, but... Yeah, there's no guardrail. And so I'm like, so the blackness that I see beyond that, he said, yeah, it's just the side of the mountain. So now I'm, I'm white knuckling this steering wheel even harder. You know, we get to the top, we start our, our uh, descent down to, uh, back to 9,000 feet down in Winter Park. And now I'm going literally about six miles an hour. I'm crawling down this hill, down this mountain. And I think the steering wheel at this time was like bent over because I'm just so nervous. My whole body is tense. And then I begin to see this pattern of cars begin to pile up behind me. They're wanting, they're wanting me to hurry up and get down. They're used to driving and I'm not. And there's nowhere to pull over. Every, I'm looking, I'm like, there's nowhere to pull over. I can't just stop right in the middle of the road. There's people coming up the mountain. What do I do? I'm just going to crawl six miles an hour all the way down. I don't care how long it takes me to get down there. Because I'm not going to jeopardize my safety or anybody else's because they're too stupid not to put guardrails up for me, all right? So I get down to the bottom, and there's finally a place to pull over. So I pull over, and I begin to count 38 cars that piled up behind me waiting for me to get by. And even though I had the name of the church on the side of my van, I never counted so many middle fingers in all my life. And the teenagers just thought it was great. 
Look, Pastor Jeremy, they're all flipping you off. So you know what I did? I rolled down my window and not, no, I'm just kidding. I didn't, I didn't do that. I wanted to, but I didn't. I just said, look, they all think I'm number one. They're saying, good job. You got down that hill. Great. But it was terrifying to see that there wasn't a guardrail up there to protect me and to keep me safe. So last week we started this series called Guardrails, and we're looking to see how the Ten Commandments are really connected to what's called a guardrail and the Ten Commandments that God gave to his people and that he really gave to us as well. We've all been on dangerous roads, whether it's here in Colorado or somewhere else. We've been on dangerous roads with guardrails. Maybe you've been on a dangerous road without a guardrail in my case. Because I don't know of anyone that looks at a guardrail and thinks, man, why is it that Caltrans keeps telling me thou shalt not drive off the cliff? They're, they're, just, they're joy killers. Don't they want me to have fun? No one thinks like that. The truth is we don't see guardrails as limiters. We see them as things that are to keep us on course, to things that are keep us safe. And the Ten Commandments were given to us for the same exact reason. They're not limitations. The Ten Commandments are for our benefit and for our life. The challenge, however, is that somehow we've come to believe that if we just follow the Ten Commandments, that's the way that we keep our relationship with God. That's how we earn our relationship with God, and that's how we please God. But the Ten Commandments are not the path to God. We don't follow them to earn God's favor. In fact, we will never be perfect in keeping the Ten Commandments completely. Now, I want you to process through that just for a few seconds. The Ten Commandments are, are, of God are not the condition of his love and his relationship. They're the evidence that the relationship already exists. God's people and his love for them existed long before the commandments ever did. God didn't give the commandments to the world and say, do these and I'll love you. Or do these or don't do these as the case may be and you'll find favor with me. That's not what happened. He gave the commandments to his people, those with whom he already had a covenant relationship, those that he rescued and saved and was taking them into the promised land. They were already his children. They were already his people. So he gave them these 10 commandments and all the other laws because he loved them and he wanted to protect them. I make rules and guidelines for my children, not yours. And I do that because they're mine. I do that because I love them, because I want the best for them. But obeying the rules that Janet and I put into place for our children, for my kids, doesn't mean that I love them. My kids already existed before the rules ever did. But we keep thinking that the Ten Commandments are in place so that God can turn bad people into good people. But that's not God's intentions at all. We think obeying the rules will make us good. Obeying the commandments makes us good. It turns bad people to good people. Good compared to who? Good compared to God? It just doesn't work like that. Rules and commandments don't accomplish those things. God's not trying to make bad people good. He's trying to make free people free. He's trying to keep free people free. Let that sink in for a moment. These aren't rules to turn from bad to good. They're guardrails to keep us free. The commandments make us aware of our need of a savior. The Ten Commandments and all the, and, and all the things that God puts in place for us to obey are put in place so that we can seek after our savior, Jesus. 
The commandments come out of a relationship and allow freedom to, and life to grow on the inside of us. So last week we looked at the first two commandments. First commandment, God gets first place. He's on the throne. Second commandment, no idols. Don't reduce God. Don't minimize him and make him manageable. And that brings us to the third commandment. And it's tied into the importance of the first two. This is about who God is. The third commandment is about God's character and how I live my life in the light of who he is. It's found in Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. The Lord will not let you go unpunished if you misuse his name. Now, maybe you grew up in church and you heard it this way in the King James Version. Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. Now, we've probably heard that, but do we really know what that verse means? This is one of those Ten Commandments that most people have misunderstood, that they've, we've actually taken out of context uh, behind the heart of what this commandment really means. Don't take the Lord's name in vain. Maybe you thought that this commandment had a very specific, limited application, that it means to not say, oh my God, when you're shocked or when you're excited, or not to say Jesus Christ when someone cuts you off in traffic. And I know I'm making some people, even right now, uncomfortable by saying it like that, because that's what we've grown up to believe that it means. We've basically limited this to say, thou shalt not cuss, right? Now, there is some truth to that, but it doesn't even come close to what God desires for us. This commandment is far more, about far more than how we use God's name as a vocabulary word. It's about how we take his name as a way of life. So what's this commandment really saying? How is this leading us to a, a place of life? And how is this leading us to a place of freedom? This commandment is really about keeping what we say and believe in line with how we live and operate. It's about our integrity in our relationship with God. All throughout our day, we see things in culture taken in vain without even realizing, okay? People that wear a 49ers jersey, but they can't tell you anything about the team. They don't know any of the players. They have no idea who they're playing today, but they wear, they wear the jersey. They are wearing that jersey in vain. They're representing the team in vain. Stolen valor from men who never served a single day in the military, taking the honor of our U.S. servicemen and women, and even our country, taking that in vain. Politicians, pastors who say they're followers of Jesus, but then some scandal comes out about their behavior or their attitude that says otherwise. They're taking God's name and representing him in vain. During the Crusades, armies would march into other countries or cities, killing men, women, children, and animals all in the name of God. That's taking his name in vain. We carry the title of Christian. We come in on Sundays and we, we check all the boxes of giving and serving and worshiping, but then we walk right out the door and we mistreat our spouse. We're unavailable to our children. We ignore the orphans and widows in our community. We're not discipling each other. When we do that, we're taking that title of Christian in vain. We're misrepresenting our loving and caring Heavenly Father. That's what it means to take God's name in vain. So let me give you a quick, uh, kind of a short working concept. Taking God's name in vain is to use his name or character in such a way that is weightless, futile, 
useless, pointless, worthless, purposeless, idle, or powerless. It's to flippantly or with intent empty God's name of holiness and worth and wonder and honor. It's to trivialize God's majesty either with my words, my actions, or my life. So there are two main parts of this commandment that I want to explore today. God's name and then to misuse it or to take it in vain. So let's dive into that. If you're taking notes this morning, you can uh, open up the app on your phone. If you've never downloaded our app, I encourage you to do so. And you can take notes right there on your app. It says this, I am commanded to live in the reality of God's name and character. I am commanded to live in the reality of God's name and character. Back about a year ago, we did a series called God Is. And we looked at all the different names of God throughout the Bible, that he's Jehovah Jireh, my provider, that he's Jehovah Rapha, my healer, that he's Jehovah Nisi, God is my banner, that he's Jehovah Elroy, the God who sees me, that he's Jehovah Rohi, my shepherd, that he's Jehovah Shalom, God is my peace. We name our children not based on what the name means, but how it sounds with the last name. That's how we identify each other. We come up with names for our children when they're born, sometimes even before they're born. Maybe it's to remember a family member or what's popular in culture. Does it sound good with the last name? Does it kind of roll into the last name? Well, we think about those things. There's nothing wrong with that. But the truth is names carry weight. Our names carry meaning. Names do matter. All throughout the scripture, there are more than 100 names for God. Why? It's so that we can try our best to fully understand the character and the attributes of God. Not just a new way to put some vowels and consonants together, <laughs> if we can even pronounce them, right? But one name doesn't fully contain who God is. His names help us understand more about his personality. His names help us understand more about the promises that he has for his children. Because he is omniscient, he's all-knowing. He's omnipotent, all-powerful. He's omnipresent, he's everywhere at once. Listen to what King David wrote. I love this in Psalm 9 and 10. Those who know your name trust in you. For you, O Lord, do not abandon those who search for you. You see, in the Old Testament, to do something in someone's name or to call upon someone's name was serious business. You have people that would say, my name's Joseph, son of Isaac, son of Jacob, son of Abraham. I mean, they, they just, they, they're always attributing and attaching their name to their forefathers. When the Bible directs us to call on the name of the Lord, we're inviting God to come right into our situation. Look at some of these passages. This is attaching God's character associated with his name. Psalm 8 and 1 says this, O Lord, our God, your majestic name fills the earth. Your glory is higher than the heavens. Psalm 148, 13, let them all praise the name of the Lord for his name is very great. His glory towers over the earth in heaven. Isaiah 25 and 1 says this, O Lord, I will honor and praise your name for you are my God. You do such wonderful things. You planned them long ago, and now you have accomplished them. God's name reminds us that in the Bible, someone's name tells decisive things about an individual. They're not just labels that help us distinguish one person from the other. They're expressions of that person's reality. 
So when we say don't take the name of the Lord in vain, we're saying don't take God or anything that his name expresses about his reality in vain. Because God is I am. I love when Moses said, who do I tell them sent me to come rescue your people? And he said, tell them I am sending you. I just imagine Moses going, I am what? I am. Tell them I am is sending you. But our God, Jehovah God, is absolute. He is holy. He is wonderful counselor. He is mighty God. He is everlasting father. He is prince of peace. He is Jesus. He is word of God, king of all kings and Lord of all lords, the alpha and the omega. That's who he is. And you just missed 22 times to say amen. (laughs) That's his reality. That's his godness. So this just isn't about cussing. It's about so much more, but it does include how we speak. It does include what we say. The Apostle Paul instructed it this way in the book of Ephesians chapter four. Don't use foul or abusive language. Let everything you say be good and helpful so that your words will be an encouragement to those who hear them. So what is Paul telling us? To let the name and the character of God, which it should always be at work on the inside of us, come out even in our words. When the name of God, his character, and his reality becomes just another crude phrase or something we just kind of throw around when we're excited, something we just kind of blurt out whenever we're surprised, we've taken something so precious and so holy and we've cheapened it. So God isn't, he isn't attempting to give us a bunch of rules for our speech. He's given us guardrails to speak and to act with life and hope to be redeemed because he loves us and he wants us to walk in union with him. He wants us to walk in relationship with him. And that takes us to our second fill-in for the weekend. Write this down for number two. I am commanded to represent God in all I say and do. I'm commanded to represent God in all I say and do. Remember, like we said, this isn't just about swearing or having a potty mouth, all right? That's part of it. But that's like step one. It's pretty obvious we can begin to honor God and who he is by the way that we talk, by the way that we speak. But the more challenging step is really in our hearts. If you look at that commandment, do you notice something that it doesn't say? It doesn't say anything about our words. It doesn't say anything about our speech. It doesn't say anything about what we say. Let me read it again. You must not misuse the name of the Lord your God. It doesn't say you must not speak the name of the Lord of your God in vain. And it doesn't say you must not say the name of the Lord your God in vain. It says you must not misuse it. It's about our very hearts and affections. You see, God doesn't want us to miss the real thing, the real relationship, the real intimacy and our real connection with him by simply just going through the motions, jumping through all of our empty religious exercises and then miss what's deeper and miss what's important. God wants us to quit swimming around on the surface and really dive down into the depth of our relationship with him. I remember when my kids were growing up, having a birthday party or something. Those of you may not remember, but we used to have big video cameras. (laughs) Now we just pull out our phone and say, go, right? But back then, I mean, you carried it in, in a case, 
right? You remember those? You actually walk in, you know, and then you're, open your presents, you know. And I, and I think back about my kids growing up and doing all that, getting all that together. And then after the party starts to die down, the kids and the family all leave, you're kind of winding down, you sit on the couch and go, I was there, but I really wasn't. I was there, but I feel like I missed it because I was too busy trying to do other things. God is leading us to see the bigger picture, to embrace what really matters. It's like when Jesus was teaching the Sermon on the Mount and he said this, you've heard it said, don't murder, but I'm telling you not to even call someone a fool. You've heard it said not to commit adultery, but I'm telling you don't even look at one another with lust in your heart because you've committed adultery already. And he wasn't raising the bar. What he was saying is you can't do it on your own. You need me. It's grace. He was taking the commandments from this outward action and bringing it to the inner part of who we are. Remember what it means to misuse or take God's name in vain. We gave this earlier. I want to read it again. It's to use God's name or character in such a way that is weightless and futile and useless and pointless and worthless and purposeless and idle or powerless. It's to flippantly or with intent to empty God's name of holiness and worth and wonder and honor. It's to trivialize God's majesty, either with our words or our actions or our life. And Jesus gave us a pretty good handle on this. He was teaching one day, and the religious leaders arrived to question him. They were always trying to trip him up in something. They were always around, asking him questions, trying to trip him up so that they could have him arrested. They're all uptight in this one situation about the rules about washing hands, the ceremonial things. But Jesus called them to go beyond the surface. He called all the religious people in this, on this scene to go beyond the surface, below the surface, and to really examine their own hearts. I love what he says, Matthew 15, 8, 9. These people honor me with their lips. Now listen to this. He's talking to his disciples. He's talking about the religious people right in front of them. They're right there, and he looks at the disciples and says, these people, these priests, these religious people, these pastors, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Their worship is a farce. For they teach man-made ideas as commands from God. Can you imagine the son of the living God with you in the room referring to you as these people? But you know what? That's a lot of us. It's been me. I think all of us could probably take some inventory and say, yep, that's been me. These people. It's saying all the right words. It's believing all the right things but our hearts are far from God. How many times have we gone through the motions but missed the relationship? God desires for our words and our actions and our lives to represent and reflect the goodness and holiness of our Heavenly Father, that there's integrity in us. You know, in the early years, right after the death and resurrection of Jesus, those who put their faith in him were called followers of the way. They weren't called believers of the way. They were called followers of the way. And then we read a little later in Acts 11 that those followers were the first ones to be called Christians. And here's what I love about this. They didn't label themselves as Christians. 
That's what everybody on the outside circle began to call them. They called themselves followers. And now we know that it was actually probably an insult when they were calling them that. When they were calling them a Christian, because Christian means little Christ or Christ apprentice. It would be like someone pointing the finger as you walk by and say, there, there goes a little Jesus. They were doing it to mock them. Their words and their actions, their lives reflected and represented the one they were following. That's the intent of the third commandment, that people would see a reflection of Jesus in you. And God said, don't take that in vain. If you're going to do something in my name, then don't mismanage that opportunity. If you're going to do something in my name, then make sure it represents me well. Don't do it in vain. I want to share with you a prayer called the Apprentice Prayer. It's something that Pastor Dave, we read this a lot on Wednesdays when we do our staff meetings. It was written by actually a very good friend of New Life. His name is Bill Gaultier. And I want to read it to you today, but we're also going to post this online so you can access this on social media, Facebook and, and Instagram. We're going to put it on there. It's a, an amazing prayer to read through, to pray through, even if you don't do it every day. If you do it, if you do it every Monday morning when you get up. This is called the Apprentice Prayer, and I want you to listen to it as I read it. Jesus, I love you. Father, I adore you. Holy Spirit, I rely on you. Thank you, Jesus, for your cross. Thank you, Father, for your eternal love. Thank you, Holy Spirit, for your presence and power. Lord Jesus, you're my teacher. I seek to live as your apprentice in all that I do today. My life is your school for teaching me. I give up my agenda for this day, and I submit myself to you in your purposes. In all situations, I abandon outcomes to you, praying your will, your way, your time. Father, I ask you to guide the events of today and use them to make me more like Jesus. I ask and trust you, Lord, that you won't let anything happen to my family or me today, except that it passes through your loving hands. So no matter what happens, no matter the problems, the hardships, or injustices I face today, Help me not to worry or get frustrated, but instead to relax in the yoke of your goodness. Yes, today I will rejoice because I'm in your kingdom. You love me and you are teaching me. My Lord, I devote my whole self to you. I want to be all and only for Jesus. Today, I love you with all my heart, all my soul, all my mind, all my strength, and all my relationships. Today, I depend on you, Holy Spirit, not my own resources. Help me to keep in step with you. Today, I look to love others as you love me, Father, blessing everyone I meet, even those who mistreat me. Today, I'm ready to follow you. In Jesus' name, amen. Isn't that beautiful? So let me finish with this. You may be sitting here today and think, yeah, Jeremy, this is... This is a great concept. But when I think about my life and how I represent Jesus, I'm not, doing, I'm not doing the best. I do good here on Sundays because I come and I sing and I shake hands and I give and I serve and I do all the things that I'm supposed to do on Sundays. 
but I would actually be embarrassed for you to ask someone Monday through Saturday that knew me then if I represent Jesus well. Believe me, I get it. Because none of us are perfect and we all fall short. The Bible tells us that that's actually our reality. We are imperfect and we're fallible, but here's the good news. Our imperfection drives us or should drive us towards Jesus. Knowing that in our life should push us to Jesus. The one who offers forgiveness. The one who offers grace and the one who offers transformation. Remember, the commandments are not my list of rules to check off so that God will love me. He gives these to us. The commandments are given to you as a son, to you as a daughter. Your relationship already exists. And these commandments, these guardrails, are because he loves you. And he's trying to protect you, to show his love and his mercy. And ultimately bring us to this knowledge that we need a Savior, that we need Jesus in our life. Let me close with these words from the Apostle Paul. He says this in the book of Romans, chapter 12, verses 1 through 2. Beloved friends, what should be our proper response to God's marvelous mercies? I encourage you to surrender yourselves to God to be his sacred living sacrifices. And live in holiness, experiencing all that delights his heart, for this becomes your genuine expression of worship. Stop imitating the ideals and opinions of the culture around you, but be inwardly transformed by the Holy Spirit through a total reformation of how you think. This will empower you to discern God's will as you live a beautiful life, satisfying and perfect in his eyes. And this is only possible in Jesus only possible in Jesus. So as we leave here, let's put our faith and trust in him. Let's surrender our way to his way, our will to his will. Like Jesus said, if it's good enough for Jesus to say, not my will, Father, but yours, I think it's good enough for all of us. Amen? Amen. Bow your heads with me. Let's pray. Father, we acknowledge today that you are our king, that you are Lord, that names matter. Father, you care about how we represent you. Thank you for teaching us today, Lord, that it goes so much deeper than just swearing or, or just using foul or abusive language, Lord, and when, we, when it comes to that third commandment of what it means to take your name in vain, but it actually means are we representing you well? If we say that we're a follower of you, is that expressed in our actions? Is, is that expressed in our behavior? Is that expressed in our attitude? And if not, Lord, we just pray for the Holy Spirit convicting power in our lives to wake us up, to shake us in those moments and to remind us that we are to represent you well and not to take your name or your attributes or your character in vain. So I pray that for every single one of us, Lord, in this room. Thank you for dealing with us individually. Thank you for what you're doing in this church. Thank you for what you're doing at this campus, what you're doing in us and through us. Lord, your mercies are new every day and we bless you this morning. We recognize that on this day, October 9th, 2022, that you are on the throne and that you are in control and we surrender ourselves to you and we trust you, Lord. 
because you are a good God. We ask all this in your name. Amen. Amen. Hey, thank you so much for being here this morning. Don't forget all the announcements we gave earlier about the Harvest Fest at the end. Uh, we want to say one more time, thank you to all the ladies that put that on yesterday. It was a huge success. Thank you so much. If you came prepared to give, you can do that one of four ways here this weekend. And uh, hey, it's, there's a lot of great things happening here at New Life. We want you to keep coming back. And next week, bring somebody with you, okay, because there's some great things happening. We don't want others to miss out on God's favor and blessed blessings in their life. Amen? Amen. Hey, we'll see you guys next week. Have a great week.